Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. This is a busy time of year, my man. It's a good week. Yeah, dog. The, yeah. Some people would argue this is the best week in sports. It's a, it is. It's. I well, think a lot of people wouldn't because there's not really any football, like NFL football, to be involved. But when you've got the Masters, you've got MLB is going on, you've got the championship game in basketball, that's a pretty good week. I'll take that week in October where you got uh, full slate of college, full slate of NFL games, you've got postseason baseball. That's it, pretty much any week in October is amazing. But, yeah, uh, and you get to near the end, and even like NHL and uh, NBA start up, don't they? At the yeah, end of October. Yeah, I've got uh, locally. We've got the dogs are going to be in the playoffs here, and then we got uh, the Salem Red Sox cranking up uh, tomorrow. We're taping this on Wednesday, so busy time, but also very fun time. And I'm I'm happy to be getting outside. Uh, yeah, it could be a little bit warmer. I looked yeah. at the forecast; it's like not even like touching seventy yet. Yeah. A little bit warmer would be nice, but I guess you can't complain too much. There's no snow on the ground right yeah. now, so that's good enough. Okay. Well, well here's what we're going to get to today. Uh, most of it will be spring football related. As usual, we are right in the meat of spring football, uh, just past the midway point here recently. Andy's got some news on the running backs, the O-line, cornerbacks. We'll talk about Michigan bowing out of their series with Tech. Michigan. Good, chicken good one michigan i like it i, like it. I didn't come up with that a thousand people tweeted it at me <laughs> the open the opening line for tech florida state is out we'll get to that i got something for instant replay uh big surprise there we'll have a picture shocking <laughs> that you would have something railing against instant replay we'll have a i feel like i'm watching an instant replay when you rail against instant replay i, I just get more and more right every time one of these incidents occurs i've got actually two examples of terrible in, institution of replay yeah, okay um, i can't wait yeah and then uh we got the picketed caskets tweet of the week which came in late <laughs> i mean it, it we looked like we didn't have one but we we've got one we've got a fresh one and we'll uh, end it by picking the Masters. I know you're a huge golf uh, player, huge golf fan. Well, player, I haven't played in two and a half years, okay. which my daughter is two-plus years old, so that kind of coincides yeah. there. It's difficult to find. I see a connection somewhere. It's difficult to find, like, two hours of free time on a Saturday, let alone four hours on a Saturday. So I, I don't know how people golf when they have kids like that, especially young kids. Yeah, no. It's, we need grandparents in the area if they were around to be a little bit easier. But it's a you know three hour drive for them to get down here, so we we got to take advantage of that this summer. I think. I often tell people I don't golf, I gamble. But it's in a similar situation. Golfing for me. is gambling. That's it, all that it's drinking and gambling while you're outdoors. Like you would love golf. I feel like. Oh well, yeah, no. Look, I love being outdoors and I love hiking and all those things. But uh, the swinging the stick is just. I thought I'd be a natural at it. Never was and didn't just. Just decided I didn't want to try. Wow. Yeah. I feel like you'd like it. It's a lot of walking out there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Nature. I got nothing against golf, man. I'd love to play. Gambling, drinking. The drunken gambler? Yes. And who <laughs> might you be? This is perfect. This is right up Aaron McFarlane's alley here. But my point was that it, when you have kids, you know, your, your gambling trips, they, they go down. Like, you know, you got to you gotta be more responsible. So Wait, you gamble less than when before you had kids? <laughs> Yes. My goodness. What did you live in a casino before you had kids? I can't even imagine this. I was a professional poker player at that time. <laughs> yeah. Uh no, okay. Let's start with the NCAA tournament, just since it's it's fresh in a lot of people's minds. Uh we called it. We Snooze. totally called it. We called it. For as bad as our predictions were, 
you know, like as bad as our brackets were. The one thing that we nailed was we both saw Villanova beat the snot out of Radford. And we go, that team is really good. Like, you know, everybody says, oh, there's no dominant team in college basketball. After seeing Villanova play, I'm like, why hasn't anybody been talking about this team more all year? Maybe I just didn't pay attention. Uh, maybe they were a, a boring storyline because they had won it a couple years ago. But that team was amazing. Do you know the one Villanova game I watched during the regular season? St. John's. Yes. The one game they laid an egg. How'd you guess? I mean, like, and that it seems to happen to me a lot. Like, I'll go cover a Virginia football game <laughs> when they play their best game of the season, and I'm like, they got something for Hokies this This is the time. <laughs> they have 100 yards of offense at the end of the year. And they, I mean, we basically called what the Final Four was. and We called it a couple weeks ago when all the upsets were happening. We said, you know, the upsets are great early, but you don't want one of those teams in the Final Four because that just – you're not going to get good games in the Final Four. And, you know, Loyola was there for a while and had a lead, and then Michigan came back, and Michigan wasn't even that good of a team, as it, as it turned out. Uh, you know, you have the two one-seeds on the other side, and one of the one-seeds was a lot better than the other one-seed. I mean, it was just kind of predictable how it went in the Final Four. So uh, I think you'll always see a lot of upsets early, but then you want the big guns there at the end for the Final Four to have a, a truly, you know, remarkable and memorable Final Four. Well, years ago, I was the columnist who wrote about, hey, quit your whining, old people, about how late these games are. I don't want to hear it. Just stay up one night. What's the big deal, you jerks? Shut up. And now I'm the old guy. And I'm like... You were I, you were skateboarding through the room and drinking Red Bull. Yeah, and, to the extreme. To the extreme! <laughs> so, according to my Fitbit, I fell asleep that night at 8.51, which uh, is... I think partly due to the Orioles offense that I was watching. So I didn't even make tip off, but I watched all the highlights and I read all the stories. So, I mean, I feel like I've got a pretty good grasp of, of Dante Vicenzo, Di Vincenzo's uh, performance, uh, 31 points, 18 points first half. I mean, that, and I watched the highlights and you just see a team that was playing really, really confidently. And when you've got talent and confidence and you've been there before, uh, that's hard to beat. Well, this is how good, Villanova was is Jalen Brunson, who's like a player of the year. Uh, I think he won one of the player of the year awards this year. Didn't play for like seven and a half minutes in the second half straight. Just he, he was in foul trouble or wasn't playing well. I can't exactly remember what the issue was. And Villanova still just blew him out. I mean, they have this guy come off the bench and score 31 or whatever it was. I think he uh, was the most by a player off the bench since Luke Hancock, which I'm sure Berman will have a story getting a Luke Hancock reaction about that sometime this week. Uh, I mean, it's just that that team's loaded, and I don't. I feel like they're loaded for the foreseeable future. It seems like, yeah, they might lose some guys to the, the draft this year, but uh, you know, they got that thing humming right now, and I don't think anybody's going to stop that anytime soon. Well, I was the sports editor yesterday because our sports editor is on vacation, although he did give me a lot of help. Uh, so. Mr. Hemphill, if you're listening, I appreciate the help you gave me yesterday, but I was in charge of picking some of our stories, and I decided to run one of these stories. Uh, somebody wrote from the AP a, a top 25 for next year, you know, the way too early top 25. He had Virginia Tech at number 16, um, you know, and he said uh, basically he said Buzz got this team going. Uh, that was his analysis. Uh, I, you know, it, I, we'll have to see what happens with who leaves. I mean, this this is a – Always a big question this time of year. Who's going to still be on the roster? We know Bibbs is gone. We know uh, Devin Wilson's gone. But Yeah, I think you look – I mean, you've got Robinson back. You've got Walker back. You've got Hill back, uh, Clark, and Blackshear. I mean, that's pretty, Outlaw. That's a pretty good starting five. And then you've got is, – is it C? 
C and Hadim C. Hadim C. Hadim. Outlaw off the bench. I believe what's he trying to get? Sixth year? Is that what his deal is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a pretty good rotation. Very that, good. That's a, that's a pretty good lineup. Uh, you know, I think Buzz is a pretty good coach. They've competed well in the ACC here. And, you know, I, I think they could be that. I mean, you get past the top 10, and then it's like, well, who's going to stick in that top 25? You know, as, as a poll voter in football, once you get it past those top teams, there's a lot of variance on how these teams are going to go during the season. So we'll see, but I think they're set up pretty well to compete in the ACC. Yeah, just noting on the side here, they had Virginia at 8, and they had Duke at number 1. So let's move to the gridiron. That's what people come for is gridiron. It's what pays the bills. <laughs> That's right. It drives the train, as the late Jim Weaver always said. Running backs. You wrote about running backs today. In fact, you had to send your story to me because I was the editor. And I did. I you wrote like, that. What you're you like, for God's sake, send it in already. <laughs> What's taking forever? I want to go home. This is what I, I did kind of crack the whip on you. I'm like, sorry. Oh, I'm trying to get out of here in an <laughs> hour, hour and a half. If you could uh, send that story along, jerk, it'd be real nice. <laughs> No, actually, you could have just sent it to the desk, uh, and I could have left. But I wanted to be the one to put it in the system. No, I like the out. headline. That's the headline. Virginia Tech running backs crave bump in big plays. Yeah, a little bit of alliteration there. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Uh, that's crave exact- is a good word. Yeah. That's exactly what they're trying to do. They were awful on explosive runs last year. That's sort of been something that has been lacking uh, from this running game for a while. Uh, they had seven runs of 20 yards or more last year, which was their tied for their fewest in the last decade. And you go back to like those Ryan Williams and David William, David Wilson years. Uh, I think they had like 26 or they were in the mid twenties for 20 plus yard runs. They had one run last year that was longer than 25 yards by a tailback. And that was Coleman Fox in garbage time when they were up 45 nothing on North Carolina. Let me say, I thought you were a little hard on my guy Coleman. Twice you called it garbage time performances. Well, that's what it was. <laughs> I mean, what, what do you want to call it? Mop-up duty? I mean, that's what as it was. A, as a former college athlete who played primarily in garbage time, I would like it to be called something else. The score was... Debris time. The score was... Detritus 40, time. The score was 45 to nothing. What do you I mean, you want to call that like peak <laughs> football time? Like but, I don't know. You but you were also when you were encapsulating his his season total, you said who got it all in garbage time. Well, it was it was. Okay. I mean, it pretty much was. I like, so I like Coleman. I like watching that kid run. Where was I anyway? Not a lot of long runs they had, and you know, you talk to Justin Fuente, you talk to Zon Byrne, the running backs coach, and they say that they had opportunities. I mean, they saw plays that everything was blocked well. I know everybody always wants to be, oh, the offensive line needs to be better. The offensive line was okay last year. Uh, it's certainly better than it's been recently, I think. And there were plays where the running back has a, a chance to make a safety miss, and he doesn't. And you know. That's the difference between a seven-yard gain and, oh, you rip it off for 40 yards down the field. That's a that's a big explosiveness that's been lacking uh, in this offense lately. And you think back to those, you know, the heyday of Kevin Jones and Ryan Williams and David Wilson. How much of the Hokies' offense was they just ripped off an 80-yard run? Right. <laughs> just, I mean, it, it maybe wasn't always blocked perfectly, but they were such incredible elite athletes and had those kind of moves that they can do stuff like that. I don't know if there's really anybody on the roster like that right now. I think McLeese, Deshaun McLeese, maybe has that ability a little bit. 
Uh, Jalen Holston, they say, is trimmed up a little bit, uh, perhaps has a little more elusiveness to him right now. Stephen Peoples certainly isn't like that. He's a bowling ball. He just runs straight over you. Uh, but but they need to do better on making those, you know, getting those big runs to pop because I think that would help this offense quite a bit because you, you just didn't see a lot of those big plays from this offense last year. Yeah, that's a good point because I was around for all of those great running backs. Uh, and, you know, whenever you think about Frank's offense, you think, at least I do, I think grind them out, you know, ball control, four yards, cloud of dust, all that stuff. But really, you're right. I mean, the, the, the big component of their offense was just – one of those guys making a big play and they need to find some of that because you know i think one of their other problems is also they didn't have a lot of and this is kind of the complete opposite of what you you wrote about but i mean the short yardage didn't they have or, or am I making that up? Didn't it seem like they they failed on a lot of short yardage plays? I'd have to look year? up the stats on it. I don't know exactly off the top of my head. Anecdotally, in my mind, I feel like they did. It just feels like there were some calls made in short yardage situations well, was, that were a little uh, curious, and that and that showed me that maybe they didn't trust the short yardage game. Well, it sticks out the end of your mind in your mind at the end of the Georgia Tech game. Right. Where they have third and one. They throw a little fade pattern there. Kuma on the sideline, incomplete. Fourth and one. You know, games on the line, you can get a first down and, and kind of keep going. They go to the end zone to Cam Phillips. Uh, so th- just that sticks out in my mind. I it, I don't want to sit here and say, oh, they were terrible on, on uh, third and short and everything like that. But it just seems like there were a lot of occasions where maybe they lined up in the shotgun. Everybody's like, what are they doing? You snap them all five yards in the backfield, just hand it to a running back. And then the next time they line up and hand it to a running back and they, you know, mess it up some other way. What are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> Handed it to Stephen Peeble. It, it was uh, the goal line against Oklahoma State in the bowl game where they ran the mesh play that they had ran 600 times during the season and he just happened to fumble on the goal line. And all of a sudden, then it becomes this risky play in everybody's minds. Like, what are you doing doing a mesh play there? That's the riskiest play in football. It's like, no, it's not. It's a, it's a typical handoff in this offense. They just happen to screw it up in that one instance. But uh, yeah, I think short yardage, that, that might be something for me to look into a little bit here, uh, look at the numbers and dissect them a little bit. But yeah, I, I think that has been an issue. Well, and not having Gerard Evans to just batter through there and get what you Yeah, they, they've been spoiled for a while with Gerard Evans and before that Logan Thomas where it's yeah. like, ah, it's fourth and one. What do we do? It's like, give it to our 240-pound quarterback and let him ram his way up the middle. It's like, that seems to work pretty well usually. By the way, I saw uh, Bucky Hodges was signed by the Jets yesterday. The Jets getting another chance. Yeah. Drafted by the Vikings, cut after the preseason. I think he was on the Panthers practice squad for about six weeks. I thought he would get a shot somewhere. I was kind of interested why he, he didn't latch on to a practice squad a little bit longer last year, but it seems like a good opportunity for yeah, him. Yeah, easy to dream on him if you're a scouting guy. Just oh, yeah. Like, yeah, let's uh, give him a shot see what happens. 6'7", 250, yeah, throw it to him. <laughs> it seems like he's got some athletic moves. Uh, well, um, among that running back core, probably not as much in the mix as some of those others you mentioned, but uh, Terrius Wheatley. Uh, interesting lineage, son of Tyrone Wheatley. Tyrone Wheatley, who is the 1992 Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year at Michigan, uh, three-time All-Big Ten first-team selection, played in the NFL for a decade, the Giants and the Raiders. Uh, so it's a name people know out there. Uh, he, I mean, he grew up in Michigan. Uh, Tyrone was a coach up there for a while, and he's kind of bounced around a little bit. I think he was in four different high schools in four years, but uh, he crossed paths with Josh Jackson when he was up there. Their teams played each other in Michigan, so they know each other a little bit. Uh, he's not the bruising running back like his father was, a little bit. I think he's six feet, 180-something pounds, but he does have some speed and does have some elusiveness from the sounds of it. So he, it sounds like he could maybe help in that home run capacity that they're looking for in the running game. 
Uh, you know, he got hurt his senior year of high school, so he ended up going to Fork Union, didn't have a ton of offers out there. Played defensive back at first, then picked up running back as well and came to Virginia Tech as an athlete. Uh, they ended up putting him at running back, which I thought was kind of curious. I thought there was more of a need at, at defensive back, but it, apparently they like his skills there, sort of a, a multi-faceted type running back. But uh, they've liked what he's done so far this spring. It sounds like maybe he could work his way in a little bit. Uh, you know, you you know how they run the running backs here. I mean, it's not right. like it's not like one guy gets all the carries. I mean, they're rotating guys in and out all the time, and they have different sets and different formation, different kind of runs that they uh, like to have certain backs in. So, uh, I think there's a place for him if he continues to develop. I, I don't think he's quite there yet, but I mean, I think he continues to to make strides, and it'll be interesting to see if he can get on the field this year. True freshman, redshirt freshman. Redshirt. He, he redshirted last fall. Okay. Uh, but, you know, you lose uh, Trayvon McMillan, who was a home run hitter in the round game before he stopped doing that last year, lost that sort of power surge, I guess, if you want to say it that way. Uh, they sort of need somebody like that in the running game. Like I said, I think McLeese sort of has that capability. Uh, Jalen Holston will see maybe less, but, but Peoples isn't like that. Uh, they need somebody that can sort of go the distance in the ground game. Well, running backs and offensive line go hand in hand, and uh, you've also done some exploring of the offensive line this year and what, what kind of shape is that o-line in going into this fall i think maybe decent shape i mean you, you look at the guys they lose eric gallo and obviously wyatt teller who was a first team all acc guy and tech hadn't had a first team all acc guy in a long time on the offensive line i think you have to go back to blake de christopher uh in 2011 I think they have a decent group there. I mean, it was big getting Chung back for a sixth year. Kyle Chung, who played right tackle, he'll slide into center this year. So you have a sixth-year guy like that. You have Yash Nijman, who's a senior. You have Braxton Pfaff, who's a senior. Both started last year. Uh, Nijman got hurt, but he's been a, a mainstay at left tackle for a couple years. Uh, and then the guys they have plugging in, DeAndre Planton at left guard probably uh, – potentially Tyrell Smith, who sort of had the, the job at right tackle locked down last year before a high ankle sprain in August. They're both redshirt juniors. So you have some experience there, or at least some some veteran guys, even if they haven't been on the field that much, that it's not like you're plugging in some freshman or something like that that's just going to be overwhelmed at a certain spot. They have some younger guys like Silas Dezancy. Dancy? I, I don't know how to pronounce his name exactly. D-Z-A-N-S-I, however you pronounce that. Uh, sounds like he's coming along to get in the mix. T.J. Jackson's another uh, guy on the edge that could be interesting coming up. But, you know, Planton held his own last year when he came in at the end of the year and was sort of rotating with Parker Osterlo at the left tackle spot. Uh, Tyrell Smith was on the cusp of playing time before he got hurt last year. I think there's a, a decent chance this O-line could be very solid this year. Spell the uh, Dezanzia guy's name again. D-Z-A-N-S-I. D's. All right. I like that. That's a good one. Vance Weiss is the man who is in charge of that offensive line. And I always like talking to Vance. Yeah, he's always interesting when he comes in. He had a he had a good quote this week. Well, I asked him about they've sort of had these sign in place guys uh, going to Fork Union a couple years. Silas Dancy, uh, the first one of those. Christian Darisaw, the second one of those. Where these guys basically had like no offers coming up. You look at it, it's like Central Connecticut State or something like that. And I think a lot, some of it might be tied to academics that scared some of these schools off from from actually offering these guys. Uh, but Tech signs them, they don't qualify, and it's kind of expected that they're not going to qualify. But they go to Fork Union, they come back the next year, and in Dancy's case, he's he went from 240 pounds to 308 or something like that. I think Darisaw had a similar. 
uh, turnaround physically uh, when he went to, to Fork Union. But this is the, you know, I asked, you know, what are you getting for, with guys from Fork Union? This was Vance Vice said. He says, one thing I can guarantee you when I get guys out of there is they've seen hard. They've been through tough. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just like the most perfect offensive line coach quote to say. I like how it, tough became a noun there. Yeah. They've been through it, tough. It almost sounds like, uh, like, first of all, you could see him like, just imagine him doing the dip in between. He's like, they've seen hard. <laughs> They've been through tough. I could also Next to a crackling fire. Yeah, I could also see it. Yes, yeah, like some sort of trail boss saying this type of thing. I could also see it being like uh, some like drinking coffee out of a yes, out of a metal cup. Some grizzled sort of like uh, you know army you know, the general or something like that. They've seen hard. They've been through tough. <laughs> It's like, yeah. this is how we're describing the 101st Airborne or something like that back in World War II. It's like, this that's a very good quote. Yeah, I always like it when the assistant coaches come in. It gets a little, sheds a little light under their positions. We talk to them so infrequently that it's usually a pretty uh, fruitful interview whenever they do come in. Yeah, and Vance was all the mullet stuff last year too, right? All that. Yeah, he's do. hilarious. Yeah. He, he had the line last year with Mike Gundy. It's like, you know, somebody, you know, Sets on you have some sort of bet on the game, and then, you know obviously the NCAA don't bet on it. Don't you dare bet on it. He's, he's like, are you kidding me? Have you seen that guy's paycheck? <laughs> he's making four million a year, whatever it is. So he always has a good line uh, for those sort of things. Uh, whenever Vance comes in, it's, it's always a pretty good interview session. Okay, let's head to the other side of the ball. There's been a lot of talk about linebackers. Uh, let's move one level back and talk a little bit about the cornerbacks. What's the situation for the cornerbacks right now? Well, it's interesting. I mean, you lose Greg Stroman and Brandon Face, and those are two you know, veteran, dependable guys at cornerback. And I know last year, you know, you say you had a three-cornerback rotation with Adonis Alexander in there, but Adonis wasn't really consistent last year. Certainly uh, off the field, he had the suspension for a couple games earlier in the year. Uh, on the field, you know, hit or miss with whether he was going to have it all there on a certain day. I think there were games where he's pretty good, and there were others where he wasn't quite as good. But, you know, Strowman and Faison were there every single time. And I think that's part of the reason why that defense was so good last year is that coverage was incredible. Uh, you know, you, you're going to give up some plays here or there, but most of the time those guys were doing their job at cornerback. And you lose that now, and all of a sudden Adonis is the senior – and you know, I think Fuente said at the beginning of the year, and he, you know, he, he said it yesterday. He doesn't want to single out a single guy. He's talking about a group of guys, but uh, the accountability, the consistency has not been great of some of the veteran guys on that team. And I think he's talking about Donis. I think he's talking about Javon Quillen in terms of consistency and being a guy that they can rely on all the time on the field. It sounds like those two have been doing a lot better this spring. We talked to Javon yesterday. Uh, he played safety earlier in his career, has finally found a home at cornerback, and I think he's sort of embracing that, uh, getting a greater opportunity. Uh, but there's a lot of question marks at those cornerback spots. I mean, are those senior, are those veteran guys going to be uh, you know, more consistent, more reliable this year? Uh, Caleb Farley's, this is part of the reason I think they moved Caleb Farley back to cornerback, is, is he's a guy that has the sort of skills there. It's, it's not a position that's they really know everything they have there. Uh, but, you know, he's coming off the injury. How's he going to react to going back to defense with the injury? Jeremy Webb is a junior college guy they signed who is not here right now but will be here in the summer. Uh, he's a 6'3", you know, 195, 200-pound guy, kind of like Adonis Alexander, that uh, sort of a rangy, tall, 
cornerback. It seems like that's the, the, the mold that Virginia Tech likes to have. I think Caleb Farley fits in that as well. I think he could compete for time. But but then you got guys like you know Bryce Watts is a sophomore who's more of a track guy coming out of high school that's you know really fast but kind of coming along on the football side of things now. Uh, Tyree Rogers could potentially work his way in there. A lot of question marks in that group. Whereas last year, I think you just you go into the season, you go, there's just nothing to worry about. You got Stroman right. and Face, and, and and that's all you need to to have. Well, you mentioned Quillen moving from safety to corner during his career. It seems like there's a lot of those shifts that go on at, at Virginia Tech. You know, corner to sa- safety or vice versa. How difficult is that for those guys? I mean, how how di- different are those roles? I mean, I played offensive line in high school, so I don't. You know, I don't have a real good feel for. I guess I mean safeties are, you know, the the, the last line of defense. They're they're making a lot more tackles usually, right? And in corners, it's more just coverage. And but in, it, specifically in Virginia Tech's scheme, is there something that's uh, tougher about making that shift than than maybe it would be at other places? Well, leaving them on the island or something like I that. I think part of the thing with Virginia Tech is they like well-rounded defensive backs to begin with. So they ask their cornerbacks to do a lot of tackling. Uh, you know, they've had a lot of guys play in that sort of slot position which is a lot of coverage but it's a lot of tackling around the line as well so you know you see people like chuck clark played cornerback early in his career became a safety terrell Edmonds, cornerback played safety you know dietrich bonner was a cornerback to safety kaishan jarrett anton exum a lot of these guys have these you know multi-position skills uh, yeah i think cornerback is probably what they look at a guy first typically because uh, if you have sort of that coverage ability you know, that's something that you don't want to lose by moving them to safety. Right. You, you lose advantage of a really good cover guy. Obviously, you want him on the best receivers out there. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how easy it is to shift between the two. I, I think the big thing with Quillen is you're just getting reps all at one position. Mm-hmm. You're just, you know, okay, I'm a cornerback. I'm going to focus on these coverage skills. Whereas if you're bouncing around to different stuff, you're sort of spreading yourself thin on what you're learning at certain spots. So, I think that's why, you know, a couple years ago when they made that move where they, they go, okay, Kaishan, Jarrett, and Dietrich Bonner are going to be the cornerbacks, are going to be the safeties. Anton Exum, Kyle Fuller are going to be the, the cornerbacks, and that's how it's going to be. We're going to set it there. We're not going to mess with it for a year. I think they saw, you know, the dividends pay off on that eventually. I think that's why they want to get a guy in a certain spot and not really bounce him around. Yeah, that's the ideal, but of course – Injuries happen and things, you know, people move around to yeah, fulfill they, needs. And they play so many defensive backs. I mean, they're essentially they're essentially a four two five defense now. I mean they, they can still call themselves a four three and you know, call Mook Reynolds a whip linebacker. That's really a, a nickel spot when it boils down to it. So when you're starting five defensive backs and a couple get hurt and then you gotta shift things around and okay, all of a sudden Mook Reynolds is playing free safety and you bring Deion Newsom in to play whip linebacker nickel uh, it's tough to fill those five spots. You want to get your five best guys out there. So I think that's why you see a lot of shifting on the back end. When you were playing Madden football, what was your defensive choice? I was a 4-3 guy, just blitz off the edge every time. <laughs> it wasn't, I, wasn't that the defense everybody chose. I'm going to blitz every time off the edge. I was edge. punt block every time. <laughs> <laughs> punt block, did it work? No. I mean, the little dunk pass over the middle is and you're dead. But uh, oh, it was, it's always fun to send them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I don't think anybody gets this. Like, I'm going to call a very uh, conservative, very, yeah, very conservative, very unique uh, zone coverage here. No, you're it right. never worked. It's always uh, some sort of blitz. Um, you know, we have our first. Justin Fuente has scared off a program. He's scared off Jim Harbaugh and they the Michigan scared. Wolves. Scared. Scared. 
just running with their tail between their legs. Michigan has has postponed or canceled the series with Virginia Tech. When was that supposed to be played, and why did they do it? Uh, 2020 and 2021. So not far off. I mean, uh, I think the first one was at Ann Arbor, the second one in Blacksburg. So yeah, it was finally like here. I think it was scheduled in 2013. So you, you wait five years after a game is scheduled, and then you get two years out and they cancel it. It stinks. I want to go to the there. big house. Yeah. I've been there. I've Have been you? there. It was 20 years ago when I went there as a student covering the Badgers uh, at Michigan. But this was, like, I think a lot of fans were looking for it. I was trying to figure out what program other than West Virginia, if it had canceled the game, would it give Virginia Tech fans more ammo or more like anger about it. And I, I'm trying to think it would Mich- Michigan would be number one, right? Of the schools that could cancel a game. I mean, it's you have the Danny Cole game in, in Michigan. Yeah. Like a lot of Hokies fans wanted the payback from that game. They were still angry about that based on the replies that I got when Michigan canceled. It was, <laughs> I think 90% of them were, Danny Cole caught the ball! It's like, it's like, okay. I see that we are still in the... Moved de- on, yeah. We are in the denial <laughs> stage of that still, if not moved on. Uh, you know, you look at Michigan's schedule that year. And when Michigan scheduled the Virginia Tech game, the Big Ten was still playing eight games a season. Uh, they went and scheduled Washington a couple years later, and all of a sudden Washington turns into this top ten program. It's like, oh, okay, well, that one gets your eye. Uh, with the revamped Big Ten schedule that, you know, they knew they were going to have to play Penn State, Ohio State, uh, Michigan State in a given year. But the crossover schedule to the other division, because they have three crossover games uh, every year, includes Wisconsin and Nebraska which, you know, Wisconsin's a top-five team right now, and Nebraska, I think, is going to be pretty good in the upcoming years under Scott Frost. So you're talking about those five conference games, plus Washington, plus Virginia Tech. I can see why Michigan wanted to back out of this. It sounds like maybe it was just easier to back out of the Virginia Tech one than the Washington series. Uh, And from Virginia Tech's perspective, I don't think they're all too broken up about it because in 2021, their non-conference schedule included games at West Virginia versus Michigan and versus Notre Dame in addition to an ACC the, schedule. The fan, so if you're a fan, that stinks because that would have been such a great season right. to watch. If you're a coach and you're like, I don't know if I want to play all these top 10, top 15 programs all in one stretch, I, I think that's why it's like Virginia Tech was amenable to this series getting canceled. So what, I mean, we're going to get like a Marshall or something like that instead? Yeah, I think it's going to be like an old Dominion ECU level program mm-hmm. uh, just because you, you, you don't want to overschedule. I think it does open up an interesting – opportunity in 2020 because they have three home games that year uh i think they play who they play i think it's west virginia at home and then like two scrubs uh, like ecu odus i think those might be the richmond might be the other team i could look this up right now it'd be easier if i did this instead i can just throw a buster it. while you're doing that well yeah. go ahead do it i mean it is it when you look at the schedule you say as a fan man that is a killer schedule that i would love to watch um but you're right. They think about it a different way in that coach's office. There's no question. Here it is, 2020 schedule. Liberty to open up. Penn State at home. That's the the, the marquee game that we, everybody would look forward to. And then East Carolina at home. So you have three home games, which means you have seven home games on the schedule already, which would open up a possibility to go and play one of those sort of neutral site games if they could line one up at this point. I don't know if they can. Uh, but it'll, be, it, it'll give uh, Whit Babcock a little bit of something to work with because right now – uh, other than those two Michigan vacancies that they have, uh, the next opening in the non-conference schedule is in 2029. 
So it's a long ways off, uh, but at least this gives them a little bit of something to work with. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, twenty twenty is not that far away. No, so, so who has a spot available? Uh, I think you can do some shuffling with ECU and ODU. There are eleven matchups after twenty twenty with those two schools that maybe you could move around a little bit to open something up with another school. Uh, but it gives you some flexibility, and it'll be interesting to see how they do it. But it, w- whatever they get, it's not going to be as cool of a game as Michigan. Well, Wit, if you're listening, uh, Harris Cherokee has a, a lot of extra room of down there. They could build a football field for you and have a neutral site game there. I'd be okay with that. I think that would be all right. Or Vegas. Press Row is actually like a craps table. <laughs> Joy, <laughs> great. Joy Behar, special guest. Um, speaking of gambling. Speaking of gambling. Hey, good transition there. Florida State minus six against Virginia Tech on Labor Day, the opener. Uh, we you were, had that right. We were you said about a touchdown, welfare. right? I can't I, remember yeah, what we said. I said at least a touchdown. I think so. Maybe I was kind of wrong, um, but it sounds about right. Six to me. Does it sound about right to you? Well, you get three just for playing on the road, right? Yeah, for, for playing at home. Uh, as a favorite, right? Yes and no. I mean, it is like a six-point swing when you look at it. You know, if you so that's a no. Would you say yes and no? Right. I mean, it depends. College football is different than uh, NFL. I mean, NFL is pretty much a straight three down the board. But, you know, uh, there's places like, you know, Oregon or Boise State, you know, where you're going to get a, a bigger bump uh, just because of home performance over the years. Uh, but, yeah, generally speaking, a neutral site, you'd probably be looking at a three in this set in this setting. And at Tech, you'd be looking at a pick them. So, yeah, you're right, about three. Well, it's interesting, Florida State – Six points, all the, the confidence in Florida State. I mean, this is a team that went, what, seven and six last year? You know, lucky to get to a bowl game. Had to reschedule Louisiana Monroe to get to a bowl game. I realized the coaching situation with Jimbo Fisher leaving was sort of toxic at the end of the year. Uh, I realized their quarterback got hurt, and DeAndre Francois will be coming back, uh, presumably to start. I mean, I, I guess he would be the starter coming back. I thought Blackman played pretty well at the end of last year, eventually. Uh, once he wasn't, I mean, he was like the skinniest freshman that you could ever throw in there. Uh, seems like a very unfair situation to put him in. Uh, I think all the loss, if, if Virginia Tech hadn't lost those three guys on defense, maybe if you only lose one of them or lose two of them and have one of those guys coming back, maybe that changes things a little bit. But uh, with all those losses on defense and the retooling the Bud Foster's group has to do, plus the the questions in offense with Virginia Tech, I can I can sort of see why this is what it is. I mean. You know, the one thing Florida State doesn't lack is talent. It's just, for whatever reason, it wasn't molding it right last year. Things had gotten stale under Jimbo Fisher, and you add that to the quarterback injury, and, and all of a sudden it's a real problem. But, you know, Florida State still had top ten recruiting classes throughout Jimbo Fisher's run there, even at the end. Uh, I think Willie Taggart goes in there and, and goes into, you know, not a ready-made situation, but a situation where they can turn things around fairly quick because they just have the guys to do it. Well, when you tweeted out that, that line, did you get a lot of retweets and likes? Uh, I did. I believe so, yes. You know who didn't? Who's that, Aaron? Six million ways to die. Choose one. <laughs> All right. Hard out on that one. Okay, it's time for the Picnic Caskets Tweet of the Week. This is a tweet that bombed by me. And, you know, Andy, you can always uh, submit your own personal tweets that suck, but you don't have any. So until There are happens, tweets that stink relative to other ones, or ones that I thought should perform better than they do. But 
this one that you have this week is it's a beauty. It's just sitting out there with one sad, lonely like. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. All right, it's actually two tweets. Uh, we'll start according to Fitbit. This is uh, twelve hours ago, so this was last night. According to Fitbit, I fell asleep at eight forty-nine p.m. last night, so I never got a chance to tell my one shining moment joke I'd been sitting on. Let's pretend I'd been awake. And here's the second tweet. This is the actual picking a caskets tweet of the week. And one shining moment is about to start. Here was the planned tweet that was sure to bring me internet-wide standing ovation and rubber band banks for years to come. Quote, the phone is tapped, and there you are. You're running for your life. Fiend. One like. <laughs> one like. Tim Hayes from Bristol. Thank you, buddy. You I think mean, that would have done better in the moment of you, people are gearing up for one shining moment and you make the, the FBI wiretap joke and that... That was the only reason to stay up, really, for that game because we knew we knew Villanova was going to win. But I had that teed up, and I wanted to use it. And, and you it, should have said like a, did a time tweet, even <laughs> if you fell asleep. Like, I'm going to assume this game ends here. There's like two minutes left. It's like, well, folks, it looks like one shiny moment's about to start. <laughs> it's like one of those pre-recorded messages that you get that are just mistimed. <laughs> yeah, that would have been even better. But thank you, Tim. What? Did, let me get your thought. Do you like one shiny moment? Some people are like very anti one shiny moment no, now. No, I like it's like it. why do you just have to hate things that are cool? Like it's cool. I am a I'm a total addict. I'm a total those hype videos. I love. I love them all. I don't care. You know, and, and they're and they're getting slicker and slicker. I mean, you know, amateurs are making really good baseball hype videos. You know. The, yeah, I think the, the technology is advanced to yeah. the point where it's like it's really easy to to splice and cut things and put music over it and stuff. Yeah, and it just you know, it, I love it when the song really fits the highlights. You know, it doesn't always happen on one shiny moment. Sometimes they have to. It's a little forced. But uh, I remember ESPN did a year in review one year, and they used. Uh, what was that better than Ezra song that uh, I can't remember what the name of the better than Ezra song. It wasn't good. It was the other one. It was, it was, uh, it was the other better than Ezra. <laughs> it's song. a slow, it's like a ballad, but I mean, it's just every scene from the season that they used. Was that like the ESPYs one year? Uh, no, it was they, back when the sports center just showed highlights. Okay. Basically at the end, like on new year's Eve, they would show like, here's 2001, you know, here's in sports. And it was just every single line in that song matched up perfectly with some big story of the year. And I just thought, he just got chills watching it. I was like, this is great. And it's, it makes me emotional to watch like Orioles, uh, like hype videos from back in the day when they were good or, you know, like, it's cool. The ESPYs usually does a pretty good one to like kick off. It's like, here's the year in sports. Yeah. And like a couple years ago, I think they had Dustland Fairy Tale by the Killers. And it was just like, it was a very good song for the moment at the highlights that they had with it. Uh, they usually do a pretty good job with that uh, year to year. I think one that was very well done was um, whatever that college equestrian team was with Eminem's Not Afraid, <laughs> with just <laughs> ho yeah. horses jumping over the gates to Eminem's <laughs> lyrics and, and Not Afraid. That, that's an all-timer on the internet in terms of just like... This gets you hyped for equestrian. It was so ridiculous. <laughs> was it equestrian or was it dressage? I can't remember exactly. I think it was equestrian. Okay. Yeah. It was amazing. And then every now and then they showed like a horse like galloping and a dressage. Like it, it was, it gets you hyped for equestrian. Let's put it that way. Well, the better than Ezra song reminds me of my favorite uh, weekend update joke. You remember that? 
uh, with Norm McDonald. Well, of course, <laughs> it was from Norm McDonald. What was it, Aaron? Number one on the college charts this week it was better than Ezra. Number two, Ezra. <laughs> <laughs> that that was the best weekend update joke ever. Uh that's pretty good, pretty good. I, I I implore you to try to find another one. I probably could. Okay, well by the end of this podcast, I'm going to find what that song was. But I have something for replay too, man. All right, our weekly replay old man complaint of the week by Aaron McFarling. We've been looking for segments to do every week, and this one seems to come up quite a bit. We, we don't have we don't have a song for it. Oh, shorty, like a memory in my head. That's we should have the replay. we should have the one of uh, if if somehow we could put it turn the uh, picture of Abe Simpson yelling at a cloud into an <laughs> audio clip. We could you know insert that here, and that could be our weekly thing. Okay, I watched 14 seconds of women's basketball this season as a former Virginia Tech women's beat writer. But I watched the, the two shots that the gal from um, – from I'm not even going to try to pronounce her name. I can't. Yeah, from Notre Dame hit, hit two winning shots. Wonderful, wonderful story in the Final Four to beat Connecticut and then beat Mississippi State. But when, he, when she beats Mississippi State, if you watch the, the video, they, they're all celebrating and jumping around, and all of a sudden the, the – the referees because they got to look at the stupid video. Oh, let's just kill the moment, man. I mean, you won a national championship. Let's kill the moment. All right. That's, that's, that's one. Any problems with that one? You're okay with that. You, you, you like, you like that. Just ruining the moment like that. Well, I like the fact that they got it right. (sighs) Okay. Let's say that that shot goes off and goes in a half second after the buzzer has gone off. And it's clear as day that she did not get the shot off in time. You're just okay with deciding the national championship on that? Yep. You're okay with them deciding the national championship game, the biggest game in women's basketball, decided incorrectly that everybody plainly can see with their eyes is decided incorrectly, and there's nothing you can do about it. Both teams, even even the person who shot is like, yeah, that was after the clock. I didn't get it off. And the other team sitting there is like, we just lost the national championship game because this call was incorrect and you're like oh we want to let them celebrate so let them continue celebrating the moment you're okay with that yeah that's stupid that's not what happened in this game though no that's but that's what it's protecting that's what it's there for is for an egregious mistake like that so they go and check it egregious use of replay number two are you just trying to claim that you're right in this one by moving on yes uh detroit tigers versus pittsburgh pirates this one was uh, kind of ridiculous. Tigers, uh, bottom of the ninth inning, they get a walk-off hit. Uh, Castellanos slides home. The the umpire's standing right there, looking down at right under his nose, and he calls him safe. The place goes nuts. Tigers win. Tigers win. Or do they? They did not. Of fact. course they didn't, because we got to look at the stupid replay. And and then they look at it for like five minutes. This is an opening day crowd at Detroit. Now it was a cold day. There wasn't a lot of people there, but uh, you know they're just standing around. I mean, this just completely saps. Even if even if he called him safe, which he didn't, he turned he reversed the call. Even if they called him safe. It's still a moment killer. That's my thing. Okay, I don't have a problem with the moment killer as long as they get the call right. In that particular instance, I don't know if they got the call right. They yeah, they were a looking different debate. That that's one they were looking debate. at is like I don't know what they were saying where they like overturned this call. Uh, the problem in baseball is that home plate call is tough. It's like bang bang, yeah. and it's it's very tough as a, as an umpire to make the right call and see that. Oh, did he tag him up high before his foot, you know, three feet away here actually touched the plate? So I'm okay with replay there. I would prefer that 
if they were going to overturn a call like that, that it would be clear and present evidence that it was the wrong call and they had to overturn it, and it wasn't. I mean, in that one, I, I think you could look at a hundred times and go, yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't see enough there to overturn it. I think that was the gripe that the Tigers had about that. Yeah, I think that's a different debate, though. My debate is the moment killer. I, I get here, your moment killer, but here. your moment killer, the call needs to be right in certain situations. And thinking, especially in situations where the game is being decided on that very play, what's the harm in taking a look at it? Like, oh my gosh, the joy that I had for this incorrect call was not you know, allowed to play out in its entirety. That's your complaint. I was thinking about this this morning. I've played organized baseball for about 35 years now, from Little League to high school to American Legion to college to now rec ball. That's, a, that's still going on. I have never once argued with an umpire in my entire career. You just grumble under your breath about uh, the Sure, you're, you're in your mind, you're cussing them. If you, you, know, you throw a ball in the black and he, he calls it a ball, but, you know, or they ring you up on something that's in the dirt. But I, I just – it's just not my personality to – and maybe that's why I feel this way. It's just like I'm okay. He got it wrong. I'm moving on. It's it's life. It's just a, it's a sport. It's a game. Well, aren't you just a Boy Scout? Well, I just I, – I would agree that it, most of the time they're overusing replay, especially like you know, second inning. Like, did they get this call right? It's like, I don't care in the second inning. I do care when it's the deciding game in a play, deciding play in a game. Okay. I care whether a guy touched the base before he got tagged. I care whether the shot was off in time. I think sometimes they get a little overzealous with that, where like the shot is clearly off. <laughs> like everybody knows, they're like, wait, we're gonna go take a look. Right. But that one and the Notre Dame one, I think, was close enough that, yeah, they had to take a look at it. Because if, if it had not gotten off in time and a team wins the national championship and another team loses the national championship because of that, I think that's the reason you have him replay is to correct that mistake. Okay. I found the, I'm right. You're wrong. Moving on. <laughs> I found the better in Ezra song. It's called This Time of Year. It was on their hit album, uh, Deluxe, which also which winds up with a song near and dear to your heart, Coyote. <laughs> well, Yes. <laughs> You want to tell the coyote story? Ah, uh, you can tell it. Can't no, you? you remember it. You're the one. You're the one who likes to make fun of me. For well, it. I don't know. I don't remember what. What was the? We were in we El Paso. Were, remember? We were in El we were Paso at that steakhouse that was like 40 minutes away, and we saw a coyote outside, and we all took pictures because we were in the restaurant when we saw this coyote. So we all took pictures. And Aaron's like, "Oh, that reminds me of this great song that we like by better. Is by better than Ezra? Better than Ezra. The song Coyote. So as we're driving through like the pitch black. <laughs> desert night of El Paso, Texas, the outskirts of El Paso, Texas. You download this song. Six minutes and 13 seconds worth. They had given us a pickup truck because we're in <laughs> Texas. Apparently that's what the rental cars in Texas are like. And you're just blaring this song on the light. You're like, and it's it's a terrible song. <laughs> like, you played it and you're expecting like, like, like adulation from the people in the back saying like, good one, Aaron, that made the night. This is the best song ever. And we're all just sitting here like, that's the song that you thought was the greatest song ever. It's terrible. I didn't say it was the greatest song ever. I said it, you, it was perfect for the moment. You talked it up as though it was going to be the greatest song ever. It was not, in fact, the greatest song ever. So they played all six minutes of it. And then it finished and we're like, uh, got, any, got anything else on the old uh, iPod there? Anything else you can play? Which do you prefer? My son and I were talking about this the other day. Do you prefer the cricket sound when people are not reacting to something? Or do you prefer the Simpsons version, which is the single cough? <coughs> I like the cough. I like the cough. 
it's like, more yeah. authentic. I mean, crickets, you could not be outdoors. Right. You know, cough is you're always around somebody <laughs> in that awkward situation. Are I, you I like ready the cough. to laugh? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right, let's get to the Masters and we'll get out of here. Andy, uh, you ha- what's your plan for watching the Masters? I know you're a big golf guy and you want to watch the Masters, right? Are you going to carve out the amount of time it takes to watch all the coverage? Or? I'll carve it out. Yeah. And this year, I, I saw that it, the Masters like doesn't really like do coverage before a certain time of the day on it's, TV. It's usually like, like three it's just, o'clock. It's yeah. maddening. Yeah. You're sitting there like, I just want to watch the Masters. They're going to like online stream uh, Tiger's entire round on Thursday. Nice. So that's pretty much what I'm going to do on Thursday, sit around and watch it. I've got to cover the Sox uh, season opener at night. So I'm going <laughs> to excuse myself to not do much during the day on Thursday and just watch that entire round pretty much. Uh, it's a, It should be exciting this year. Like Tiger's back. All the big names are golfing really well right now. Rory won a couple weeks ago. Phil has been playing really good. Like all the guys you want to see there on the leaderboard on a Sunday in the Masters. They're playing really well right now. Now, I don't know if they'll end up there, but going into the Masters, I'm trying to think of a more anticipated Masters in recent memory. I mean, just Tiger alone would, would put that near the top, but then you have these other guys that are sort of at the peak of their powers right now that makes it really intriguing. Well, we're both old enough to remember the days when it was, is anybody going to have a chance to beat Tiger? Yeah, it was you Tiger know. versus the field. Uh, you you didn't even really blink. You picked Tiger. Yeah, you like Tiger. Um, now, let's say Tiger and Spieth, who are the co-favorites at 10-1, to 1. Uh, let's say they're going down the the final fairway at 18, or I don't even know if it's 18 a par three or uh, par four. Par four. So they're going down the fairway at par uh, on a you know, tied. Who are you rooting for there? Do you want to see Tiger? I want to see the Tiger yeah, redemption I story. Do too. I, do. I do. I do. I do. Like he did some horrible things, and you know he certainly paid the price for that along the way. Uh, but I mean, there's something. He's a dynamic personality. Like you, everybody roots for him for some reason. If if other people had done this stuff, I don't think as many people would root for him. But I think a lot of people still root for him, and certainly golf fans because they've seen how he just wrecked the sport. I mean, he just dominated in a way that nobody has really done. I mean, he won the U.S. Open by like 15 strokes yeah. at, at Pebble Beach. I mean, it was unbelievable. I think people want to see him. I don't think he'll ever get back to that level, but I think people want to see him win again just because. He drives the sport. I mean, the interest in golf is off the charts when he is good. I mean, that's been proven over 20-plus years. Uh, so, yeah, I think it would be really interesting to see him get back to the top of the golf world and be back in it because it would make me a lot more interested in golf, period. Well, we're also old enough to remember those days where people – I mean, I, I remember taking calls here in the office at the Roanoke Times from people saying, why are you putting Tiger – you know, Tiger farts and you put him on the front page, you know, and they, the Tiger coverage was too much and – I don't know if there is such a thing as too much Tiger coverage anymore. No, I don't think so. I think Nobody else in the away. sport does that. Like, yeah. Phil is a pretty popular golfer, but he doesn't move the needle like Tiger does. Yeah. And I, and I wonder about those people who really didn't like Tiger back when they're, you know, the, the golf people who are like, hey, there's a million other golfers out there that I'd like to know more about that I never get coverage of because it's all Tiger all the time. I wonder if some of those people have come off that position too and just said, hey, I'm, I'm all for all the Tiger coverage too. I don't know. Well, I think – Maybe they got that Tiger coverage for so long, and then he went away for two years because right. he's been hurt, and now it's back, and they're like, I kind of miss that. I like the, <laughs> having this guy in golf that's like everything he does, I want to know exactly what he's doing. Yeah, or root against it. Or right, yeah, one or the, that's other. the other yeah. side of it. Okay, who do you like to win? Rory. He's the guy that didn't. If I'm going to pick somebody to win it, I'm going to pick Rory, but I'm, I'm probably going to be rooting for Tiger to win it. Yeah. 
I mean, Rory played really, really well a couple years, weeks ago, and he's he's played well in that course before, and then he's had meltdowns at the end. He's never won the green jacket. This is the this is the event that he needs for the golf grand slam, uh, career grand slam. Yeah, I'm going to go with Rory. Where's this one. Bubba on those? Bubba odds? is fifteen to one. Uh, he has been playing Rose. great, has he? I mean, like, he's not, but he's a lefty at Augusta. Who's, he's won there twice. Twice, yeah. Uh, I mean, Augusta is is such that if you've won there before and you sort of have that institutional knowledge of how that course is supposed to be played, it's such an advantage because yeah. it's a small field. Uh, the, the really really good golfers usually make a lot of shots at that course, and then you know, guys like Bubba and Tiger and Phil Mickelson. I mean, they they know how to play that course, so that, that's why you always see them at the end of the year. I mean, that's why Fred Couples. You know, I don't think he'll be there now. I don't know if he's in in kind of peak playing shape for him. But even when he was like, you know, broken old man with a bad back, would go to Augusta and he'd be in the leaderboard on the final day. And he'd go, why? Why is Fred Couples there? It's like he just knows how to golf this course. I'm going to take Bubba, and here's why. You uh, like the name? Well, no, I know all. he's. I know he draws some criticism, and he's not the most. Uh, refined person in the world and he's certainly not the most politically correct all the time but he is a, a mainstay at the Greenbrier which is the tournament the one golf tournament that I actually cover and go to and he's colorful he's colorful there I appreciate the, the quotes that he gives out there and my experience with the Masters and you, we were talking off air you know it's a smaller field that makes a big difference and all those things but it seems like a horses for courses type of place if you win there once you got a really good shot of winning there again because it's not you, you don't really fluke your way into wins there right no so no it's, um, it's rarely like a I mean they had a run there a little bit where it's like first time guys winning it but and last year Sergio won it so that was that was a first time guy but uh, usually it's somebody who's won there before that you, or guys that you see at the top of the leaderboard are the same names there every single year okay well I'm sorry you got to cover the opener I'm off to Bush Gardens with my family they're on spring oh, break that's so, what I'm covering yeah, it for I didn't why... realize this I thought you were going gambling somewhere no or something. no gambling Not... uh, just riding the uh, Loch Ness Monster that's what I'll be doing but yeah it'll be fun and Everyone, enjoy the Masters this weekend, and then next week you and I will get together and we'll talk uh, spring game. That'll yeah, it'll be, be a spring, spring game, game week. preview, essentially. Spring game breakdown. Here it is, all the injured guys for the spring, <laughs> the spring game, all see, 25 guys that are out. I was going to say, see if you can acquire a list of who's not playing. Because well, I mean, the, the night know. before, on Tuesday, I, I assume we'll do this on Wednesday next week, we actually have an open part of practice because they're opening up to the students, and they can't really do that justifiably without letting the media see a little bit as well. So they're letting us in as well. <laughs> so we'll get a little bit of a glimpse of spring ball. So maybe I'll have a little bit more insight about spring practice next week. So if they hadn't let you in, you would have like put on a do-rag and some like... Yeah, uh, I would have like, like, hey, Leonard kids, Skinner shirt. That Meek Mill sure is a pretty good rap artist, isn't he? I like my goes. Have we? Li- <laughs> my goes. Yes. Excellent rap beats from that gang, that trio. All right. Well, that's what we have to look forward to next week. And hopefully you'll join us for that. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarling. We will see you next time.